Welcome to the weekly sermon podcast from First United Methodist Church of Murfreesboro. It is an honor and privilege to share this time with you. We love studying the scriptures and feel they are central to our preaching, teaching, and living of the good news of Jesus Christ, the gospel. Our mission here is to grow disciples of Jesus Christ who know him, love him, and serve him for the transformation of Murfreesboro and the world. It is our prayer that God would use our preaching and teaching to do exactly that. If you have questions, thoughts, ideas, or just want to talk a little bit more about what you've heard today, we love to hear from you. Most of all, know that you are in our prayers as we listen together. Now, let's dive in. We're in 1 Thessalonians, which is one of the earliest letters that Paul wrote to one of the earliest churches that Paul helped to start. So if you want to go to, in your Bibles, go to 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verses 9 through 13. That's where we'll be. You can do that in uh, your Bible or on a phone app, whatever you have uh, to, to find 1 Thessalonians. Let's pray together. Oh God, we open now to your word, your word of life. Open our hearts. Teach us what you would have us to know. Send your Holy Spirit in a fresh way to stir up within us your gifts of preaching, teaching, listening, learning, and growing that we may truly become your disciples. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. We hear uh, the word of God now, 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verses 9 through 13. You remember our labor and toil, brothers and sisters. We worked night and day so that we might not burden any of you while we proclaim to you the gospel of God. You are witnesses, and God also, how pure, upright, and blameless our conduct was toward you believers. As you know, we dealt with each other, each one of you, like a father with his children, urging and encouraging you and pleading that you lead a life worthy of God who calls you into his own kingdom and glory. We also constantly give thanks to God for this, that when you received the word of God that you heard from us, you accepted it not as a human word, but as what it really is, God's word, which is also at work in you believers. The word of God for the people of God, and so we say, thanks be to God. I think it's very fitting that we read Paul's letter from Paul's letter to the church at Thessalonica or Thessaloniki, depending on who you ask, on this All Saints Sunday. It's such a warm, hopeful letter rooted in deep relationships born out of a shared partnership in the gospel. You can flip back to Acts chapter 17 and read all about Paul and Silas's, Paulus is a contraction, Paul and Silas. You can read all about Paul and Silas's adventure uh, for the month they had in Thessalonica. For three Sabbaths, it says, Paul the scholar unpacked the Hebrew scriptures, helping faithful Jews in their own synagogue see that Jesus is the Messiah and that it was necessary for him to suffer, die, and be raised from the dead on the third day. 
Some of them believed Paul and Silas right away, as did, Luke says, many Greeks and not a few of the leading women. Jealousy arose among the Jewish people. They actually stirred up a mob to get rid of Paul and Silas. They said they've been turning the world upside down. We got to get them out of here. It's so interesting to me that Paul's own people levied this criticism against Paul. They said, he is acting contrary to the decrees of the emperor and saying that there is another king named Jesus. That's what they said. What is the decree of the emperor, the decree of Caesar? Well, it's simply that Caesar shall be worshiped as God. How ironic that God's own people are choosing to worship the emperor rather than God. It's really odd for me to see God's own people grab a political weapon from outside the community of faith and use it to drive a wedge between sisters and brothers who are simply trying to stay faithful to what God is doing now in and through Jesus. We, we can't help but hear echoes of the crowd at the trial of Jesus. We have no king but Caesar. That's what they said. We have no king but Caesar. They're looking at Jesus, the king, and they say, we have no king but Caesar. We hear it again at Thessalonica. This is the struggle for the Thessalonians. Paul and Silas have had just a month with this newborn church before having to flee for their lives. These earliest Thessalonian Christians endured deeply personal persecution and suffering. Paul is actually delighted to hear from Timothy, this is over in chapter 3, that the Thessalonians are flourishing. They are flourishing in the face of that persecution and suffering. It seems the harder you try and squish these Christians, the stronger and more vibrant they become. That's what's happening there. I think about all the saints that we've lost this year, all the struggles they faced in their lives. We, we pastors get to hear so many of their stories, and so many of these leaned into their faith in Jesus when all else was lost. They knew pain and struggle, maybe not persecution like the Thessalonians did, but they knew trouble and suffering. Somehow, their faith in Jesus grew in the midst of all of that. Paul begins his letter by celebrating this formative suffering endured by him, by Silas, by Timothy, and by the Thessalonians. But there's something buried in verse 13 that we need to hear today. It has to do with a phrase Paul uses, the Word of God. Did you hear that? Did you hear that when I read the scripture? The Word of God, Logon Theo in the Greek, Logon Theo. It's the same phrase that John 1 uses describing Jesus, the Logos, the Word, the revealing of God to the world. That's what the Word of God means, the revealing of God to the world. That's what Paul is talking about. The struggle is, when we encounter this phrase today, the first thing we think of is the words on a page in our Bibles. That's what we think about, our Bibles, the Word of God. Well, Paul didn't have that. Paul didn't have a Bible like we do. He did have access to the Hebrew Bible. It was on big scrolls they had to bring out. But Paul didn't have what we have. Paul wrote much of what would become the New Testament. But when Paul said the Word of God, Logon Theo, he did not mean just words on a page. That's not what he was talking about. 
He meant, as we read the rest of the New Testament, we, under, we understand and discover that Paul meant the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus, through which God is still being revealed to the world today. The power of this word is that when it is faithfully proclaimed, it forms communities of people who believe the message, whose lives are transformed by the message, and through whom the Holy Spirit acts in amazing and powerful ways. Persecutions and suffering always seem to come as Jesus is proclaimed king in the face of all the other kings that we have to deal with in our day-to-day -day lives. Now, it's almost 400 years before Paul or anybody else would ever see an agreed-upon New Testament that looked like what we have today. That New Testament, no doubt, carries the word, the message of the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus through which God is still being revealed to the world today. But we come to those scriptures through the lens of Jesus, who is the revealing of God to the world. The scriptures echo the majesty of God as revealed through the love of Jesus. That's what we find in the scriptures. This way of thinking and preaching got Paul in a lot of trouble. It still gets us in trouble today. I, I love how this old Bible scholar wrote about it. He wrote this in the early 19th century. He said, the reason, especially at Thessalonica, the reason for the hatred aroused against the Christians was that immediately upon their conversion, they became different. The supreme ethic of the culture was force. The supreme ethic of the Christian was love. The pleasures of the populace were gluttony, lust, greed, drunkenness. Christians lived in sobriety, restraint, and purity. Worship of, worship of empire was laid upon the people by law. The Christians stubbornly proclaimed, there is no other name under heaven by which we must be saved, just the name of Jesus. Finally, the general mind of the culture was disaffected and despairing. Does that sound familiar at all? The general mind of the culture was disaffected and despairing. The Christians were loving and hopeful against all odds and with all people. Thus, they were out of step with their neighbors and with their time. And so, they became a source of confusion and exasperation, which swiftly turned into harsh intolerance, developing into brutal physical persecution. It is very interesting to me that today... This kind of harsh treatment often comes from within the broader church, the whole church of Jesus Christ. I could be wrong about this, but I, I think that I find a very clear linkage between how we understand Paul's phrase, the Word of God, and how we Christians behave toward one another. If a person misunderstands Word of God as just words on a page, that, and then they elevate those words on a page to the place of God rather than as including the revealing of God through the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus, that person can get into the same trouble as the Pharisees of old. They put God into whatever box of doctrine we feel is right and good. 
we then look way more like the people driving Paul and Silas out of Thessalonica than the beloved Thessalonians. When other Christians understand that the scriptures show us the word as the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus, who is the revealing of God to the world, still living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, that box has no lid. And we have to learn to deepen our trust in Jesus rather than our trust in the box we have created in our own image. You see, those are two very different ways of understanding Word of God. This is a great struggle in the church today. Don't misunderstand me. Please don't leave here and tell people that your preacher doesn't believe in the Bible. That's not what I said at all. I think the Bible is the most important book in the world. I read it every day. I read it through at least once a year. I believe it was inspired when written. It is inspired when read. In nearly five years, I have never stood before you and opened the thing without praying for the Holy Spirit to come and speak to us as we hear the word together. I pray the scriptures. I study the scriptures. I love the scriptures, but I do not worship the Bible, nor do I worship any man's interpretation of the Bible. I worship the God revealed in the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus, whom we meet in the Scriptures. Some elevate the Bible into the Trinity, turning it into a closed book of laws, which is supposed to tell us how God can and cannot act in the world. This turns us into the Pharisees who can no longer see the revealing of God to the world in Jesus. It leads to a brand of Christianity, I'm afraid, that is not loving, holy, or hopeful. Rather, it is judgmental, self-righteous, hypocritical, and it uses the same tools of the world, force, guilt, shame, persecution, and the worship of political power. And all of that stuff is so very dangerous. It is not what we see in New Testament Christianity, where the earliest Christians are so overwhelmed by the love of God revealed in Jesus that the gracious and loving way they interact with the world around them, which hates them, <laughs> becomes a witness to the saving grace of Jesus available even to the same people who want to kill them. Who in the world can live that way? Who does that? Who lives with love and grace toward the very people who hate them? Verse 13 still has the key. The word of God is not human. It is from God, from God. And it is, Paul says, at work in you believers. It is at work in you. The question comes, which God is your life revealing to the world? Which God is your life revealing in your phone calls and text messages and on Facebook and on your bumper stickers? Which God is your life revealing to the world? The one we meet in Jesus or some other little God we have put in a box and told to behave itself? I have to confess to you that I fall to my face in repentance for all the times I have tried to put God in a box of my own making. And boy, have I tried over the years. I also tremble with hope at the God revealed in Jesus, the one we meet in the scriptures, the one we meet in our lives. 
why am I telling y'all all of this on All Saints Sunday? <laughs> well, I guess it's this. I just want you to know the truth. The same truth as these saints who have gone on before us have discovered. Truth is discovered in a personal relationship with Jesus Christ, who is God revealed to the world. We meet him in the pages of the scriptures and in our own lives, and we worship him with every thought and every action. Jesus is the revealing of God to the world, and he is at work in you. Don't forget that. Remember that the scriptures teach us the whole of creation waits with eager longing, groaning in labor pains for redemption, for the revealing of the children of God. They're waiting on you and on me, on us to be revealed as God's people at work in this world. Sisters and brothers, remember that as you go today. We have our work cut out for us. There's a whole lot of folks waiting to see love, grace, forgiveness, and hope in a world that is increasingly driving those things out. Don't let it drive them out from you. Those are the only tools you have. Those who have ears to hear, let them hear. Thanks be to God. Amen. <laughs>